Well, I um, had a nightmare that woke me up this morning at 4.15. Now, I'm saying it's a nightmare, but um, probably really wasn't a nightmare. It was probably a fantasy. But in my dream that woke me up at 4.15 and had me laughing, I dreamed that I had finished preaching this service this morning, and I walked into my study, and Pastor Rick, and I know you're watching Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick was waiting on me, and he said, Pastor, what happened? You preached over two hours this morning. So I was sharing that with Pastor Corey, and he said, if that happens, I'm going to bring you a staff to lean upon this morning. I got to tell you, I can do it, but I'm not, okay? So don't get panicked, and don't you go away online either. But I was laughing and thinking, boy, how much fun that would be to preach a two-hour message. Might not be for you, but it would be for me to be able to do that. Let me just say, along with Becky and Pastor Corey, I'm so glad that you're here with us today and worshiping. Yesterday, someone came by, and um, if you look back on the wall as you're leaving this morning, we had a team of volunteers in here. They were running cabling and wire. You'll see three mounts. Uh, it won't be long till there'll be three cameras, and we're going to be putting some better lighting up here, and uh, help us to do more with our online and our viewing there. But I'm thankful for that, but this individual came in while we were back having some lunch together that Pastor Mark had provided for us, and, and we came up here and we had prayer together, and they said to me, says, Pastor, I have missed so much being able to come and to worship. COVID has almost got me at the end of my line. I just miss being able to come and be with the body of Christ. This individual that's a member of our congregation has had part of their lung removed and suffers with asthma. So we just prayed the prayer of faith over them. But I want to say to them what I want to say to you as well. You're joining with us online. God knows the times we're going through. God understands the times that we're going through. I just hope you just enter in, that you prepare to take communion with us. You, you give online and worship and giving just like we're giving here. You know, tithing is a covenant that God makes with his people. And God never breaks covenant. And he tells us, even test me in this. And he says, see, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you'll not be able to pertain. He says, I'll even rebuke the devourer from your home. And so if you find your finances and your home being devoured, maybe you need to reconsider, you know, whether or not you're putting God first in your finances. I didn't plan to say that, but somebody else needed to hear that as well. But the point is, just enter in, sing with us, stand with us, worship with us, gather your children around. They can understand the word that I'm going to preach, and um, then be sure they go to the Timberline, uh, Timberline, Timber Ridge Children's Ministries that, we, that Becky provides, and then there's the dance party after that. And um, you just want to just enter in. But God understands the times. We know you're there. But please let us know on Facebook, even while I'm preaching. I won't be able to see it till later, but put an amen or I agree or an oh me or something out there. But just let's worship together. And friends, let's welcome everybody who's worshiping with us online this morning. Can we do that right now? Let's let them know. We're just really, really glad they're worshiping with us. 
And I want you to always remember you're a part of this congregation and we love you. And we picked up new friends from Virginia and Arizona and Kentucky and Georgia, Illinois, Indiana that are worshiping with us. And I'm so glad to hear from you. So let's just pray and let's nurture this together. Well, last year I was in my car and I had downloaded a new Audible book. And the book was by J.R.R. Tolkien, and I like to listen to books while I'm driving, and it was Letters from Father Christmas. Now, most of you know because we've talked about him before. Tolkien was a Christian. He loved the Lord. Tolkien's actually the one that was instrumental in leading C.S. Lewis to Christ. And uh, I had a fascinating conversation with some folks who were more familiar with that story than I was and their lives than I was in Europe a number of years ago, and I still remember uh, them, you know, showing me and taking me back to conversations that Tolkien and Lewis had had. But Tolkien wrote a delightful, short, brief book that you might want to pick up and read or listen to sometime called Letters from Father Christmas. And while I was listening to that book, I remember I was in a, in a drive-through line. I'll let you guess what I was getting in the drive-through line. And I smacked my head and I thought, why haven't I ever put the dots together and thought about that at Christmas? So my message this morning is just simply Father Christmas. And I want you, if you would, to stand out of respect for the word of the Lord, you at home as well. You'll be able to read it on screen with me as I'm reading this morning. I'm going to the book of John, chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, say that with me. When everything is ready, did you say that at home? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. How many of you believe that? So it must not be ready yet. So when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always, eternity is forever, you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Then I skip a few verses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Every time I watch The Mandalorian, my boys love that show, and I hear them say, this is the way. I think about this passage of Scripture. Is that blasphemy? Okay, I just asked one of my Star Wars gurus here, and he told me that wasn't blasphemy. But every time they say, this is the way, I think about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, that makes the devil matter than you know what. That makes some people I know matter than you know what. No one can come to the Father except through me. I skip some more verses. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I mean, there's emphasis in the Greek there. And all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home. Look at that. Make our home with each of them. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so do not be troubled or afraid. And all the emphasis in those passages of Scripture, those were my emphasis. Those aren't in the text, but it's what I wanted you to catch. So join me in prayer. Father, I love you with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. Lord, I can remember younger when I just didn't feel like I could say that. 
I don't love you perfectly yet. No, God, I want to love you that way, but I thank you that through all these years I have found out, God, you are trustworthy. When everything else fails, God, you remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. When so many things have disappointed or broken a heart or not been what they were promised to be, Jesus, you have been more than you ever promised. You never overpromised and underdelivered. You have been everything. And today, as we come to the word of the Lord, we come respectfully and humbly, and we ask you, Lord, to feed us through your word today. And just as we talked about two weeks ago, Lord, I pray that the living fire of God would descend upon the altar of every heart and this church and this preacher. For we need more than the word, Lord. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our lives with passion for you. God, truly make us passionate followers of Christ. And this I pray in your holy name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You know, trust is a wonderful thing. Trust in your marriage, trust in your wife, your husband, the trust that children can have in their parents, the trust that the church can have in one another. And yet in all of our human relationships, we know there's no such thing as perfect trust because we all occasionally fail. We all occasionally have those bad days or those bad moments where we've said something we wish we hadn't have said. We've reacted in a way that we haven't react. We wish that we hadn't reacted. I remember one time some lady came up to my wife here at Woodland and said, oh, it must be wonderful to be married to pastor. Becky rolled those big blue eyes of her and says, oh yes, it's just wonderful. You know, and I told her later, I said, you should have said, yes, of course it is. She goes, I'm not lying for you. And so the point of the matter is, is that all of us, we have flaws, we have failures in our lives. But Jesus, there is no flaw in him. Jesus, there is no tarnish in him. I remember an old preacher by the name of Cam Stanton. Cameron Stanton was a good friend of mine. His son David is a friend. One of his other boys started a group that you may have heard of called the Blue Man Group. You may have heard of them, but his son was one of those that started that group and Cam pastored down in Savannah. And I remember I was preaching for Cam one weekend at Radiant Life Assembly of God there, and Cam was telling me some things that he had learned about Christ. And he said a little statement that had never, never, has never left me. He said, if gold could tarnish, and we know that chemically gold can't tarnish, he said, then maybe that the Jesus, there could be some tarnish about him. But when the Bible says he was tempted without sin, the only thing that we have to look at on this earth that will remind us of that is the quality of that metal of gold that doesn't tarnish. There is no tarnish. There's nothing that's ever removed the gleam, the shine, the purity, the power, the majesty of who Jesus is. And in him, all the fullness of God dwells. Now, God may not have done everything the way I wanted him to do everything, and I'm so glad he hasn't. 
because I've learned that even when he hasn't answered some prayers that I have prayed, that his will is best. How many of you know that? His will is best. And I can remember making that discovery as a young man as well. I was in my 20s, and suddenly it dawned on me, if God had answered all of my prayers the way I wanted him to answer my prayers, and that's important for later in this passage, then I would have been a miserable person. It's kind of like not making your children brush their teeth before they go to bed or not letting them have all the candy that they want. You say no to them sometime because you love them and you know better than they do. And I want you to know Father Christmas knows better than all of us. The Father knows better than each of us in all things. So what I want you to know today is, first of all, that the Father of Christmas is the living God and no other. Christmas was God's idea. And I'm not really worried about what people call the war on Christmas. I'm not really worried about anybody stealing Christmas. Ever since Jesus was born, there have been devils and demons and kings like Herod that have tried to wipe out Jesus Christ and to wipe out Christmas, and they've all failed. And here we are 2,000 years later, billions of people around the world worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? You're not going to be successful in that. But let's talk for just a moment what this means about the Father of Christmas. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he gave us everything we needed. He created the perfect environment and everything that we would ever need for life, and he put us inside of this wonderful garden. Now, you got to stop and ask yourself, why would God do this? And this is where so many people go wrong about trying to understand who God is. They go wrong because of the passages that I said that people just sometimes get madder than you know what about. And that is that Jesus, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. The Bible teaches us from the very beginning that God is one God. Very important. He's one God. But he reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somehow or another, and that godness of who God is, that community of who God is, if I can use that word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their love for one another said, let us create human beings in our image. And God created this perfect place for us to live in. He created a home for us, a home called Eden. And he put us in that home with everything we would ever need. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, were deceived by sin, as we looked at last week, and they replaced the love of God with the things that God had provided for them. And how many marriages and how many parent and child relationships and how many times have friends fallen out with one another over things rather than remembering what the most important element of life is, and that's fellowship and community with one another. You see, last week we talked about, as we started this series, how that families were larger and homes were smaller in the 1950s. But it, today, homes are almost three times as large with filled with things, with fewer family members, and more homes are owned today by single adults than by families, according to the demographic study I read. 
It seems that things are still causing that same battle among us, even so much so that there was a study put out this past week, not this week, but this last week, there was a study released by a governmental department that has said that one of the reasons that families aren't having more children, you're going to laugh, but this was a government study, one of the reasons families aren't having more children in America today is because they can't put a third car seat in these little bitty cars that we drive today. And so parents are deciding, so they're calling, I didn't make this up, this, your tax dollars paid for this, they're calling car seats contraceptives. You can laugh. They're calling car seats contraceptives. Well, recently, my son said to me, he said, Dad, we've got to get a bigger car. We can't get all the car seats into Dana's little car, into my little car. Well, I know that the environmentalists don't like to hear that, but I said, son, I think God would be pleased for you to have something big enough to drive my grandchildren around in safely. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. Because children are the will of God. God blesses families with children. We looked at that last week. Nowhere does the Bible say how big your quiver ought to be, but it says, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. But here's the reason that I share this with you. Jesus says that in my Father's house, look at verse 2, in my Father's house, there's more than enough room. America might be filled with big houses full of things and little cars with no children, but in my Father's house, there's room for everyone that confesses Christ as our Lord and Savior. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? There's always room. Always room. You heard Pastor Corey read this next verse just a few minutes ago when he said that Jesus existed in the beginning with God. Now, this is where my Jewish friends and my Muslim friends and some of my other friends sometimes kind of get aggravated with me. But I have noticed something, and, and I thank God for their friendship. I thank God for them. And even though my Muslim friends find this confusing that God would actually have a son and that that son would die for our sins, and my Jewish friends find that confusing, for me, I find it the most comforting thing in the world. And the comfort comes from several things. Number one is that somewhere when Abraham believed God, and God gave him a son and said, then this son, Isaac, shall all the promises be fulfilled. Abraham was old enough to be Isaac's grandfather when the child was born. And Isaac was, became an idol inside of Abraham's heart. He loved him so much. As a matter of fact, he loved Abraham. He was in danger. Listen, this is important. He was in danger of loving the gift of his son more than he was the God who gave him his son. So much so that God did something that seems obscene, that seems unbelievable, but in order to keep this relationship from becoming bastardized, in order to keep this relationship from becoming idolatrous, in order to keep this relationship from destroying Abraham and his fellowship with God, God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Friends, 
The Bible spares us the details of the grief and the agony of how Abraham must have wrestled with God, must have agonized in tears, how Abraham did not tell Sarah, how Abraham did not tell Isaac, who had now become a teenager, and they loaded up the donkey with the wood for the fire, and they, they, they took the donkey, and Abraham took his son Isaac, because the Bible says that Isaac, that Abraham believed that somehow or another, that in obeying God, that God would raise up Isaac from the dead because God could not lie, would not lie, and would fulfill his promises through Isaac. That's what helped him to sustain was because he trusted God. Let me say it again. He trusted God. And to each and every one of us, to you watching online, to you here in this church, to your pastor, there comes a point of crisis in our life where we have to trust God in the most difficult situations that can be almost unbelievable. There's probably never been another night like the night Abraham spent until Jesus wrestled with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then in resignation, Jesus in trust said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He got to the mountain. God let it go all the way. He built the fire. He built the altar. He laid his son on the, the wood that they had bought for the fire. And he lifted the knife, and if God had not, if God had blinked, if God had winked, if, if God somehow another had sneezed, if God somehow another had slumbered, he lifted his knife, as A.W. Tozer says, he lifted his knife, and right then God spoke, Abraham, stop! Don't slay your son. And there in the thicket was a sheep, a ram, a male sheep caught by the thorns, and he said, sacrifice. And there... Abraham called God Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord my provider. And there that idolatrous relationship, that relationship that was in danger of destroying the relationship that Abraham had with God because he loved the son he had given so much, there that was broken, and suddenly Abraham was able to worship God and enjoy the Son without, worse, without worshiping the Son. And Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Son that was sacrificed in order that you and I could join him in heaven. And that must make us think about why did God take on human flesh and become a man and dwell among us? Because that's how horrible our sins are in the eyes of God. We laugh at sin and we mock sin so much and we pay comedians to say filthy words. We pay actors to do filthy acts on television and we call that entertainment. And we laugh at sin and we make light of sin. And it's easy to point our fingers at those kinds of things and at those kinds of people. But it's quite a different thing when you see that a love of a father for his son can become idolatrous, a love for a husband for his wife can become idolatrous, God must be first in all of our lives. And that's why Christ came in order that a home could be provided for you and I. And it's why Jesus would then say 
No one can come to the Father except through me. Few times, few times in my life, I've had the privilege of staying in some exclusive places. Matter of fact, they give you a special card and a special access. Some of these places, when I get off the elevator, my family and I have gotten off the elevator, someone has met us, they've taken us to our room, somebody else is bringing our luggage along. There's food in our room, there's stuff to enjoy, and, and when you try to tip these people in these places that we have been privileged to, and we've been invited in, and they've made us guests there, we've been said, no, 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 there's no tipping here, you are our guest, what can we do for you? And I got to tell you, my kids enjoy those kind of moments and those kind of royal treatments. And I'll be honest, I enjoyed those kind of treatments, but I wasn't there through it. I couldn't have afforded to stay in those places. The credit line on my credit card wasn't big enough to stay in those kind of places. It was because somebody else made a way for my family and I to be able to be able to be the guest and to enjoy the hospitality of those places. And God made a way for you and I, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why we call God the Father, the Father of Christmas. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm got to hurry. What I want you to know is this. There is more grace in God than there is sin in me. That's what Jesus was doing for Peter when he restored him that we looked at in communion this morning. That's why Christ came to this earth. That's why I said to you at the beginning, you may have fallen out of fellowship with God. You may have once walked close with God, but somehow or another you've wandered away from your faith and you think you can't come back. Oh, beloved, hear me this morning. There is more grace in God than there is sin in any of us, and that's why we call it amazing grace. And we must forever and ever remember that. Listen to these words of Jesus. The Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. It was the Father speaking through Jesus. Look at Colossians 1.3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, before I became a Christian, I really didn't know I was in the kingdom of darkness. I just knew things weren't going right. I knew my sin was messing up my life. I knew I was under conviction. I knew the gospel was true. But it wasn't until after I became a Christian and was born again and there was this new life in me that suddenly I began to understand. Friends, life is not only different, life is better when you become a Christian. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. You still have problems because we live in this fallen world. And then look at Colossians 1, chapter 4. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Look at me. You have a home in heaven. If you have given your life to Jesus, it's not how good you are, it's how good he is. It's not how sinless you are, it's how much grace God has. It all depends, have you come to the Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? The second thing I want you to see, and these last two points will be rather quick, so hang with me. The Father is unshakable. 
and his commitment and love and care for his family. The father is unshakable in his commitment and his love and his care for his family. You know, one of the things that I have admired so much about men in our congregation is their unshakable commitment to honor their wives, to love their children. One of the things that I've admired about so many of the men in our congregation is that even when things have gone poorly or things have gone badly, I know so many men in our congregation who've honored their marriage vows and they've honored their commitment to their children. One of my friends whose wife forsook him and left him for another man, his children have told me not one time did my dad fail to show up to be there when he said he would be there. And even when my dad got fired, my dad took a job mopping floors and, and plowing sidewalks in order to be able to provide for us and, and to meet child support payments. And though his wife wandered away from faith, his children tell me today their dad has shown them what being a man of God is all about. Fathers, understand what I'm saying to you this morning. Your children will come to know God because of your unshakable commitment to care for your wife and to care for your family but to put Jesus Christ first in everything you say and do. That's what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. John Ashcroft, the former attorney general, in his book, All My Honor, he tells about how he would come downstairs and he would hear his father praying for them, praying that they would love God, praying that they would serve God, praying that his family would fulfill the purposes that God had for them in his life. He said, I never heard my father pray one time for a larger house. He wasn't opposed to it. He just didn't pray for it. He said, I never heard my father pray one time that we would enjoy the good things of this life. He wasn't opposed to them. He just didn't pray for them. He said, my father prayed that we would love God. Sir, are you unshakable in your commitment that your children know Jesus Christ? That's why I prayed this morning, God, let the fire of the Holy Spirit fall upon us. Knowing the Word is not enough, we need the power of God at work in our lives today. And so God is unshakable. Look at Hebrews 12, 28. Do you not see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom God is not an indifferent bystander. Now, let me give you another illustration that puzzles me. Sometimes when I'll say to my, somebody that asks me, so what are you into? And I know what they expect me to say. I'm into golf, or I'm into books, or I'm into good coffee, and I am into all those things. But I always say, especially if I don't know them, I say, I am into Jesus Christ. And you would think that suddenly I had just grew antennas on my head, and suddenly I got gills on the side of my face. But now, if I'd have said to those very same people, I'm being serious, because I've had a lot of fun on airplanes. I got a lot of miles on airplanes. If I'd have said to them, you know, I'm into intergalactic fellowship. Oh, really? Tell me, you know, and then I'll just start telling them some stupid stuff I read out of a magazine somewhere. And then I'll stop and I'll go, you know, and they're just, their eyes are, oh, they're interested. But then I'll say, no, I'm just teasing. What I'm really into is I am into Jesus Christ. They go, oh, oh. You see, there is this spirit in our world that hates this part of Christianity. I mean, 
you know, people love to say Jesus was a good man. Oh, I really respect his teachings. But think about that for just a moment. Is he a good man when he says, I'm the only way to the Father? Is he a good man when he says, I am the Lord of all? I mean, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar or a lunatic. He either belonged in the insane asylum or he was a liar or else he is what C.S. Lewis said he was. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the immaculate Son of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Well, finally, the place I belong then is in my Father's home. The place I belong is in my Father's home. You know, that's what the lady was saying to me yesterday who stopped by the church. She's lost part of her lungs. She has asthma. And if you're watching this morning, and I know you are, you were with us. Paul said, I'm with you in spirit. I know you're with us this morning, but hear what I'm saying. She was saying, Woodland is where I belong. But you see, friends, where we all belong, where you belong, is in our Father's house. So what are you trusting this morning? Are you trusting what some people are telling me? You know, I find God, you know, in myself. <laughs> Did you really find, do you really believe that? You found God in yourself? I'm reading a book right now just because I want to know how to communicate with a friend of mine. And the author keeps talking about finding God in yourself, just being quiet and you find the answers to, you, to your life's problems. If you just get still, God in you will tell you what to do. Friends, we are not God. So I'm just asking some questions as I'm reading this book. When you get still, does the God in you, does, does who you are tell you, I'm really going to forgive you for everything, for every sin you've ever done? I'm going to forgive you for every lie. I'm going to forgive you for every hateful thought. I'm going to forgive you for every lie. Does the God in you tell you that you're really good enough to go to heaven because of who you are? Does the God in you tell you that what you're trusting in, you can build your life upon, it will stand the test of time, that what you're believing in 2,000 years later, somebody is still going to be standing with that? Does the God in you tell you really that there is a place called home, heaven, that will be better than the Garden of Eden ever was, that Jesus Christ came and gave his life so that you could be home with him? Is that what you're hearing? And in this book, it's interesting to me, and I won't give you the title because it it's a hard read, it's a disgusting read in so many ways. But in this book... Not one time is a Christian ever quoted that all kinds of people that as I look up who they are on Dr. Google, they all have this hate-filled attitude for Christianity. So here's my question. The people who hate us because we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, they're going to tell you how to find love and peace and eternal security? I don't think so. And if you will think about that, I don't think you will think that either. So what do you do? Number one, admit you've sinned. In this church, admit you have sinned and your sins have separated you from God. That's, that's a big deal to admit you have sinned. 
to, to say to God, God, I'm sorry, it was my sins that put Christ at Calvary. The second thing you need to do is you need to, you need to believe this morning that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You've got to believe that. Jesus didn't die just to save a world of nameless faces, but Jesus died to save you, that child you're holding in your arms, that wife that's sitting next to you this morning. Jesus is your personal Savior. You've got to believe that. And then you've got to confess. You've got to confess Jesus is Lord of your life. And my friend sometimes says, what do you mean by Lord? I mean by Lord simply this. He is master. He is ruler. He is boss. If I want to go this way, and he says go this way, I follow him. Sometimes when I feel like I don't want to forgive, he says, forgive, or you won't be forgiven. I follow him. Sometimes when my heart deceives me and the Holy Spirit convicts me and a scripture comes to my mind, I go, Lord, I'm sorry. I follow him. That's what it means. He's Lord of your life. And then finally this morning, you have got to demonstrate your faith in Christ by being baptized in water. Being baptized doesn't save you. I don't have any argument with my friends in another denomination that I've been privileged to speak in their churches who say that you've got to be baptized in order to go to heaven. I, I don't see where the Bible teaches that. But baptism, now listen to me, and there's a reason that I'm doing this this Christmas. Baptism is your first public acknowledgement that you have died with Christ as you go under the water. I baptized someone years ago. Becky said, hold him under there a long time to put the fear of God in him. He had been a rascal. So I told him what Becky said. Got into the baptism. He leaned into my ear. He says, hold me under a little longer. So I pushed him down. And I looked at the congregation and smiled, and everybody laughed. They knew he had been a rascal. When I pulled him up, I said, you have risen to new life in Christ. He just hollered out. You may not think that was acceptable, but I thought that was beautiful in the eyes of God. He just hollered out, hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm saved. And everybody knew all about it. I buried a man a few weeks ago. His name was Rocky. People still tell me about Rocky's life before he became Jesus, before he became a follower of Jesus. Rocky was a rascal. But Rocky died a saint, not perfect, but he died a saint because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Rocky is at home in heaven with Christ, and that's where I want you to be as well. Would you stand with me and let me pray with you before we go home? I'm going to ask you all, even those of you online, pray this with me. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Would you pray that? Father, I admit 
that I'm a sinner in need of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We're all praying this together. Secondly, Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to be my personal Savior. Let's pray that together. Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to be my personal Savior. And then third, and Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Would you do that right now with me? Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And I'll pray this. And Father, if I haven't been baptized yet, I promise to demonstrate my obedience to you by being baptized in water. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, would you send me a note? I'd love to send you something in the mail to help you in your new walk with Christ. I love you. God bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may he make you prosperous and productive in everything you do for his glory and honor. God bless you. Go in peace.